Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 59th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm recording for you today not from the term used loosely studio, but uh, from my kitchen table, where I can sit with my leg up and attempt to relieve some swelling. That's because, as you'll remember from episode 58, I had knee surgery last Wednesday and have been on the mend ever since. I've been doing a whole lot of sleeping, a lot of pill popping, and a lot of awkward stretches that uh, my dogs don't seem to understand or appreciate very much. Um, I decided to take some time and resume the Thursday release schedule just to get us back on track and move forward uh, like this every week. Um, So please excuse the length between shows. I know all of you listeners are just absolutely lovely people and would ask how my recovery is going. So it's going pretty well. Um, I may get my stitches out at a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and I also have another round of physical therapy just before that. Um, So until I can fully bear weight uh, after my meniscus tear heals, uh, which they did, uh, they were able to stitch up, I'll be hobbling around on crutches, uh, which is uh, makes it pretty obnoxious to get in and out of vehicles. Um, that said, I was supposed to wait 10 to 14 days before driving again, but I, I didn't last six. Uh, don't worry, though, I was already off the oxycodone by then. Um, but let's get on with the show, since we have almost two weeks to cover. Here is your top story. <laughs> Since there wasn't a real standout top story this week, but there were a lot of neat uh, sort of new technology-focused innovations that came out, I thought I'd put them all into sort of a uh, feature roundup. Uh, First off, from Finland, a company called Nokian, uh, which is not to be confused with Nokia, um, has unveiled their SnapScan system, uh, which is essentially a speed bump, but with a twist. Uh, That twist is that this speed bump is equipped with sensors that 3D map your tires as you drive over it, allowing the system to measure your tread depth and tire life uh, to tell you if you need to install some new tires. Uh, The system is free to use, and a prototype has been installed in a Helsinki parking garage for about two years um, with largely positive results. Uh, You can opt in to receive your data via text or email when your report's ready, and you'll even get a discount coupon for a local tire store if you're in need of replacing. Uh, Since it's free to use and actually offers a discount, I'm not not really sure how this company is making money at all, Um, but there's no word on if or when this might make it to America. But uh, having lived in L.A. where it rarely rains and people have little need to ever check their tires wear until they're fishtailing all over the 405 after a minor sprinkle, I can see the system being very, very useful. Uh, Also in the north of Europe, the Swedes have been working on an electrified road to help charge cars as they drive. Unfortunately, it's not some sort of uh, cool wireless inductive charging road, but rather something more like the third rail of a subway, where cars drive over a rail embedded in the middle of the road and some sort of robot arm comes down to touch the rail and start charging the car. It's like those electric buses or trolleys that have a boom arm overhead touching an electric wire, but embedded in the ground where kids can just come electrocute themselves instead. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm sure Swedish children are much smarter than ours are here. Um, In any case, the E-Road Arlanda project has 
I had a pilot installed for a while, and their only hiccup has been dirt getting into the system, so nobody actually has been electrocuted. Um, And they claim they fixed the dirt problem. Oh, uh, and also the fact that you have to retrofit some sort of robot arm onto every electric vehicle on the road, which uh, cannot be cheap. In any case, I think it's a neat idea, but I think it needs some refinement before it really catches on. Uh, Here in America, 12 states along the East Coast have banded together to coordinate action on establishing a uh, an EV charging grid in the age of small government where the rule of law is uh, less regulation instead of more. It's uh, nice to see that states from Maine all the way to Virginia have recognized the need to have a cohesive approach to transportation. The system will focus on establishing freeway recharging systems, expanding charging at destinations like beaches or parks, incentives for installation of chargers at workplaces, and encouraging utilities to give reduced rates to EV owners who are charging at home, which, eh, good luck with that. Um, The upshot here is that uh, the states recognize that interstate travel is quite frequent along the East Coast, and that by reducing range anxiety among drivers, they can help encourage more widespread adoption of electric vehicles, potentially reducing smog from internal combustion engines. A side effect, however, will be a drastic increase in the smugness among uh, East Coast elites who continue to harp about uh, the backwards Hicks and flyover country being the problem. Uh, Ford has been spending some of the $26 billion they will save by killing off all their passenger cars, which, by the way, this week they called the move reinventing the car, which is fooling nobody. Um, Anyway, they spent it on a nifty backup camera, that utilizes a lens that allows a 180-degree view out the back of your car. It's uh, a situation we've probably all been in uh, where you're in a busy parking lot and two gigantic Chevy Tahoes driven by soccer moms who fear that driving a minivan will mean they're not the cool mom anymore. Um, They've parked on either side of you, making it absolutely impossible to see out of your windows to determine if other cars are driving down the parking lot aisle. Well, this camera from Ford will allow you to see all of that and is actually coupled with sensors to warn you if things are approaching, and, I don't know, I guess you aren't looking at the screen that shows you everything? Um, Of course, they debuted this technology on a Focus, which we will no longer get in America, since the company has instead opted to sell only the gargantuan SUVs that block the views of smaller cars. So Ford is really just addressing a problem that they have helped create, but not really, since it's going to be in a car that we won't get, but used to. Uh, Hyundai hasn't given up on its sedans like Ford yet, but it hasn't really embraced SUVs at the same rate as its competitors, so it's not exactly doing so hot, but more on that later, uh, because Hyundai has been working on a seriously unexpected technology. Holograms. Um, <laughs> when interviewed recently about what they're working on, Hyundai's vice chairman, Chung Yui san said, It can be controlled with a voice system. When you are driving, a secretary or wife can be sitting next to you as a hologram. So not only are they working on technology that nobody asked for, they better be working on a time machine to implement this in the 1960s when that sort of misogyny was remotely acceptable. That's it for your tech roundup. Here are some headlines. A scary story from the New York Times this week warned of the dangers of proximity keys. 
Uh, if you have a car with push-button start and keyless entry and are probably getting constant warnings about your key battery being low, low uh, you, you have a proximity key. Uh, basically, the dangers boil down to the fact that modern cars are so quiet that drivers can get out of them, close the garage door, and get into their house while the car is still running, which leads to death by carbon monoxide poisoning. Apparently, at least 28 people since 2006 have died with another 45 injured, because of confusion over proximity keys and whether the car was off or not. The story focuses on uh, Palm Beach County, where people, where old people who are having a hard time hearing anyway, have been doing this constantly, leading to a rise in carbon monoxide incidents. The easy joke here is that they just need to turn up their hearing aids, but I think the onus is really on car makers here. Some have addressed it. My Mazda would beep at me outside the car if I left it running and walked away, which was mostly just annoying. Uh, Toyotas and Hondas turn themselves off if they have been idling without a key in the vehicle for more than a certain period of time. But some cars, including my GTI, will continue to play the stereo after you turn it off, quitting only when the doors open, so you could theoretically not tell if the car is off until you got out. Because I've actually tried to turn the car off twice on several occasions because I thought it was running when it wasn't. When you walk away with the key, no beeping, no noise, and the engine is pretty quiet. I can totally see how this could happen. Yet another thing that wouldn't be a problem if you just had an electric car, but then you'd have to worry about coming out to a car with a dead battery the next day, so basically just double-check. Uh, we learned in January that Apple, despite... Uh, definitely totally not having an iCar that they're working on, applied for a permit to test autonomous vehicles on public roads in California. Well, this week we learned uh, that they're actually testing 55 autonomous vehicles with 83 human co-drivers, according to the California DMV. Only General Motors has more autonomous vehicles testing on public roads with its 104. It's important to note, though, that only Waymo has applied to test vehicles without human operators, so it looks like there's still enough of a safety concern that companies on the bleeding edge of technology, as we would expect Apple to be, aren't rushing out technology that isn't ready for prime time. Except Uber, of course. Uh, and speaking of Uber, the company announced this week that it is ever so graciously allowing women to take claims of sexual harassment or assault to court to be decided by a jury. If this uh, sounds like just what should have been happening all along, it's not. Uh, it's because Uber's terms of service mandated that all claims against the company go through arbitration, meaning that they would be settled out of court in private uh, where the details and numbers wouldn't be exposed. Effectively, the silence victims and the new decision will overturn that move, but only to a certain extent. The company still won't permit m women to band together to form a class action lawsuit against the company in the event the claims are so widespread it appears the problem was endemic and the company did nothing to address it. So Uber is basically saying, speak up, be heard, women victims, but, you, you know, one at a time, please. Uh, in China this week, a woman was murdered by her rideshare driver, um, so <laughs> things could be worse, Uber. Um, the driver was apparently using his dad's account on the service called Hitch, offered by Chinese company Didi. The uh, details of the story are pretty scant, uh, much like the reported cases of the uh, at least against uh, 103 Uber drivers accused of sexual harassment or assault here in the U.S., but the parent company is taking action to help prevent future incidents from occurring. Foremost, uh, Didi is removing a feature from the HIP app 
where or Hitch app where drivers and passengers could rate one another's physical attractiveness, which any reasonable person might have stopped and had to think about before implementing, given the fact that crazy weirdo guys are everywhere and maybe giving them the opportunity to filter out all the uglies and haul off all the pretty girls they want in their private vehicles to wherever to do whatever was a bad idea. The company is also looking at changing their panic button, <laughs> which apparently just recorded audio to be followed up on by a company employee at, uh, well, some point in the future, which seems sort of like the opposite of a panic button, more like a report a mild inconvenience button. In any case, it's it's a shame that a woman had to die before DD came to its senses here. But uh, just like with all new autonomous tech, we're we're all just sort of winging it, right? Uh, speaking of new tech companies, uh, due to due entirely to the genius of Tesla's chairman uh, and CEO Elon Musk, the company has decided this week to flatten its structure with fewer management positions and executive roles and placing an emphasis on achieving production targets. Yes, it is most certainly Elon's choice, and not a consequence of losing the company's chief accounting officer, finance vice president, global sales and services president, manufacturing and engineering director, field performance engineering director, Western European sales director, equipment engineering manager, and battery engineering director, all in the last six months. It's just that they need to focus on production, which has not at all been affected by a planned six-day shutdown at the end of this month. No way. And it has nothing to do with the company's decision to lock out all contractors unless they were personally vouched for by an actual uh, Tesla employee by Monday morning of this week. In Musk's words, it was time to scrub off the barnacles. Every company has barnacles, people, and if you think yours doesn't, guess what? You are the barnacle. And it totally has nothing to do with the fact that Goldman Sachs suggested that the company would have to borrow $10 billion to fund all of its new projects, like the probably forthcoming Gigafactory in Shanghai, or the Model Y, which, despite not having debuted yet, not having a place where it'll be built, and not having the capacity to fulfill orders for its other cars, Tesla plans to have in customers' driveways in just two years. Nope, they just need to flatten the structure, and then it's on like a plastic flamethrower. And speaking of flattened structures, it's another week, so there's been another crash involving a Tesla with autopilot engaged. Uh, fortunately, the driver, who is on her phone at the time of the crash and hit the brakes manually only fractions of a second before the 60-mile-per-hour impact, only has a broken foot, which really demonstrates how stout the Model S is at withstanding crashes. Unfortunately, what she crashed into was another freaking fire truck. Um, this one just stopped at a red light. Uh, the driver had been using autopilot's lane keep uh, steering assist and radar guided <laughs> radar guided lose control uh, cruise control, which apparently does not observe stationary objects like oh some of the largest vehicles on the road. Uh, the system was also being used on a highway with stoplights and no center barrier, which are apparently no-nos for the system. But guess what? Nobody reads the instruction manual. When you tell someone, hey, your car has autopilot, they think, great, now I don't have to drive anymore. So, yes, another case of the driver being at fault for being too busy Snapchatting to drive, but another demonstration that the of the fact that this technology should either not be on the road or should have greater protections against drivers so clearly disengaged from driving. 
Uh, fresh off the news that vehicle sales in the UK dropped more than 12% in the first quarter of this year, EU Transport Commissioner Violetta Bulk unveiled a vision of the future that's pretty bleak for cars. Uh, at the 2018 Financial Times Future of the Car Summit, Bulk detailed the commission's plan called Vision Zero, which seeks to reduce road fatalities, emissions, and red tape to zero. With the red tape, just good luck with that one. Uh, Similarly with the emissions, since EVs and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles still have a long way to go. Um, Plus, Europe's roads are already the safest in the world, yet they still see 25,000 deaths per year, in addition to almost 140,000 injuries. At the crux of Bulk's argument against cars is consumer preference. People continue to move into more heavily congested cities, making cars impractical. Plus, with autonomous technology ramping up, car sharing and uh, finding mobility through other means than buying, owning, and driving a car will become more attractive to many people. Much of this relies on millennials and the perception that we simply don't want cars and don't want to drive, which has been thoroughly debunked by other studies. But honestly, I hope Violetta is right here. People who don't want to drive and would rather take an autonomous cab or public transportation are probably the worst drivers on the road anyway. And by having having the vehicles out there, starting with the most dangerous bad drivers, there's going to be a lot more open highway and a lot fewer traffic jams for the rest of us who want to keep driving. After decades of decreasing, pedestrian deaths in the U.S. have shot up 46% since 2009, according to the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, which is a pretty shocking jump. Uh, According to the study, pedestrian deaths are occurring primarily in dense urban areas away from intersections and frequently at night when visibility is low. They say that crosswalks are too few and far between, so more people are choosing to cross the middle of the street without uh, without crosswalks, where it's more dangerous and where drivers aren't paying as close attention, apparently. Uh, they say we need to lower speed limits and to implement speed cameras, which we 100% do not need to do, since there have been studies like the 2013 National Motorist Association, uh, one that demonstrates that lower speed limits do not make roads safer. But it's not just the roads and the impatient pedestrians increasing deaths, it's the vehicles we're buying. IIHS says headlights these days are pretty bad and that they need to better illuminate the road ahead. Um, Meanwhile, our current affection for SUVs and crossovers also means that pedestrians don't safely roll over the hoods uh, like they would of sedans, but rather get struck violently uh, ahead, beside, or beneath cars, which, as I'm sure you are visualizing, is much more likely to result in an acute case of demise. Um, So instead of recommending that pedestrians look both ways or stop browsing Twitter and exercise a little patience to get themselves to crosswalks, the IIHS is recommending redesigning SUVs uh, so that cars will hit humans below the head and chest. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go so far as to not victim blame to just change cars, change speed limits, change everything else because it's not the pedestrians. You know, definitely. Good work, guys. Um, As for those people who don't want to and shouldn't be driving in the U.S., um, there's also some good news because Nissan is expanding its ProPilot autonomous technology to the Leaf, Altima, Rogue, and Rogue Sport. Uh, The backstory here is that after having driven a Nissan Rogue rental for a week last year, I decided that it was a car only for people for whom driving was the absolute last thing they wanted to do mainly because it was pretty much the least exciting vehicle I've ever driven. 
Uh, now, if it bores people to sleep, that's sort of no problem because the car will just keep those drivers in their lanes at a reasonable distance between the cars in front and behind them until the driver wakes up, having probably missed their exit about 70 miles ago. If you're an automotive enthusiast looking for a romantic place to travel, there are no shortages of uh, great locations that combine Amour with Blacktop. Uh, the south of France, the Italian coast, the California wine country canyons, and Highway 1. Or you could head to Niagara Falls, where the neighboring Niagara Speedway is slated to open North America's largest go-kart track. Uh, featuring carts that reach a eh, not-so-impressive 15 miles per hour, the track features twists and turns as well as a corkscrew that leads to a bumpy hill that descends you 40 feet, sort of like go-karts combined with a roller coaster. Uh, it looks like a blast and is just one of the many reasons to visit Ontario. This message brought to you by the Tourism Bureau of Greater Ontario. Visit OntarioTravel.com to plan your trip now. Uh, you may remember several months ago we covered the fact that the that Lamborghini gave a customized one-off Huracan to the Pope, who would never drive it. Um, well, it went up for sale in Monaco this week and was estimated to fetch at the high end around four hundred and twenty-five grand, or a little more than double the price of a normal Huracan. Um, with the proceeds from the sale set to go to the Pope's selected charities, lo and behold, there's a miracle because uh, some religious nut ponied up more than $861,000 for what is basically a rear-wheel drive Huracan with some Pope stripes and different wheels. At least it's for charity. Uh, in Barcelona this past weekend, Lewis Hamilton won yet another Formula One race, uh, piloting his Mercedes to all 25 points giving him a 17-point lead in the season standings over Sebastian Vettel. Uh, unfortunately, before the race, the focus wasn't on the cars or on the drivers, but on the track, where McLaren staged one of their cars near the event's hashtag painted on the pavement across the track. Rather than being hashtag Spanish GP, though, the painters were feeling a little generous with the eyes and added another, making it the hashtag Spanish GT, which is both sad and hilarious. Uh, fortunately, the mistake was spotted before the race, and instead of being repainted, track personnel just simply blacked over it. How will viewers know which hashtag to use to tweet about the race, though? Ah. Uh, it's been a real banner couple of weeks for fans of stuff getting spilled on highways. Uh, last week, it was cold, hard cash flying out of a Brinks truck. This week, we got chocolate. Um, in Grabosueo... Poland, which is probably totally mispronounced, a tanker truck carrying 12 tons of chocolate milk overturned, spilling everyone's favorite after-school treat onto the highway. Uh, crews took several hours to clean it up since chocolate milk is apparently harder to clean up than oil, requiring pressurized hot water to get off the road surfaces. In some areas, it was uh, so thick that they brought in heavy machinery to scoop it off the street. The driver of the, the truck suffered a broken arm and probably a lot of grief from his family who were probably expecting he might skim off, some off the top for him. You get it? Skim since it's a, a milk. Anyway. Um, that's not the only stuff spilled on the highway story this week, though. In Nevada, near Las Vegas, a truck carrying $800,000 worth of dimes overturned hitting the guardrail uh, spilling the shiny FDR portraits all over the highway and desert. But this truck wasn't coming from these slots in Vegas. It was uh, coming from the Treasury Department, and most of the dimes were kept in bags, some of which ripped open on, on impact. 
Uh, it took crews about seven hours to clean up the mess, and it doesn't sound like opportunists were jumping over the median to get some of that uh, sweet silver action. Um, since this one truck was full of dimes, though, it has me wondering, is there a truck for each coin type? If so, I'm going to hold out for that Sacagawea dollar truck. Um, now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless brand new. you might see me in my whip with my the biggest new car this week, both in size and stature, has to be the Rolls-Royce Cullinan, which was finally unveiled. It's everything you imagined an SUV from the world's fanciest car company would be. It has a six and three-quarter liter twin-turbo V12 engine delivering 563 horsepower and 627 foot-pounds of torque through all four wheels, all of which also steer the car, allowing for some tight turns, which is good because the car is almost 18 feet long and weighs nearly 6,000 pounds. But, you know, luxury demands such dimensions. It also demands $325,000 to start, which you know is not what most of these uh, will end up going for. Surprisingly, Rolls-Royce equipped the Cullinan with a rear bench seat that folds flat uh, and, and seats three people across, which says to me that they intend this car to be driven by the owner and not the owner's chauffeur, which is ridiculous to think that someone who has enough money to own one of these would be hauling anything or making the school run with the kids. Let's call the Colonon what it is. This is a vehicle for Saudi princes to go sand dune jumping without getting their headscarves too bent out of shape. Speaking of royalty, uh, Mini has come out with a special one-off Cooper to commemorate the royal wedding, which uh, uh, it's basically a normal Mini with some sort of abstract Union Jack and American flag graphics all over it, along with some 3D printed bits and different taillights. Uh, to make this celebrity-obsessed culture product uh, not completely insufferable, they say the car will be auctioned off to benefit the Children's HIV Association, which I can't be bothered to Google to see if it's connected to Meghan Markle or Prince Harry. Stop it, Minnie, and, and stop it, everyone else. Uh, everyone's second favorite Dutch car maker, Donkervoort, uh, unveiled their newest sports car to celebrate the company's 40th anniversary, called the D8 GTO 40. Uh, it's the company's lightest, bestest, fastest, whitest, 40th car ever. Um, performance is obviously there with a 0-60 to 60 time of 2.7 seconds from an Audi-sourced inline 5 pumping out 380 horses. Uh, this basically looks like a Caterham with some more bodywork and a better interior, sort of uh, like a mix between a Lotus 7 and a Spyker C8, which I dig, but I can't help think I'd have more fun in the Caterham, especially since the D8 GTO 40 costs $190,000. But since only 40 will be made and the Dutch are all crazy stinking rich, they're probably all sold out already anyway. Uh, in similar limited edition news, Aston Martin has debuted the a DB11 AMR, which takes the standard DB11 and uh, cranks it up to, well, 11. Uh, its twin-turbo V12 spits out 630 horsepower and a somewhat more reasonable 513 torques. It's slower than the Donkervoort, hitting 60 in 3.5 seconds, but faster because it'll touch 208 miles per hour. I mean, it could if you ever had the environment where that was possible. Uh, the chassis has been reworked to give a greater road feel, but somehow without affecting the ride, which, yeah, sure. 
Uh, it also has adaptive dampers and a limited slip differential, which is great because even my GTI has one of those. Uh, Styling-wise, gone is the chrome and in comes carbon fiber and black trim because it's just so sinister, guys. Uh, it also features some tasteless lime trim on the inside to let everyone know you paid more for a special edition. And uh, who am I kidding? I'd take this car in a heartbeat. And speaking of my GTI, Mercedes has decided it doesn't want to let Volkswagen have all of the hot hatch fun. So they're coming out with an AMG A35, which with 300 horsepower is really more of a rival for the Golf R than the GTI. This will slot in below the AMG A45, in Mercedes lineup being the cheapest way to buy an AMG vehicle. It's also going to be quick with all-wheel drive uh, propelling the car to 60 uh, probably about as fast as the Porsche Cayman S. Uh, details though are scarce because all of this is based on spy photos rather than an official unveiling. Uh, but one car Mercedes did unveil this week was the AMG GTS Roadster which is sort of the middle child of the AMG GT family slotting in between the GT and the GTC. So S between C or nothing. Got it? In keeping with being the middle child, it's, it's 0.1 seconds slower to 60 than the C, but 0.2 seconds faster than the standard GT. It's also limited to just 192 miles per hour, whereas the C can hit 196. Differences drivers will surely feel. Uh, I mean, honestly, what is the freaking point of this car? When Mercedes announced the AMG GTC, I didn't cover it because, oh, it's just a slightly tweaked, faster version of the GT. Now they have three cars with virtually identical performances. Who is buying these that you need to have three of them? Uh, in more reasonable news, the United Parcel Service, or UPS as we all know them, announced uh, the purchase this week of 35 new electric delivery trucks from a company called Arrival, of whom I'd never heard before. Um, they've been custom-built for UPS, though, and look really neat with a wraparound windshield, uh, generous cargo capacity, and an electric range of 150 miles, which the company says is significantly longer than any other vehicle available that would suit their needs. The trucks come with a suite of driver aids to improve safety and will be deployed on a pilot program in London and Paris, so don't expect to see some shorts-wearing smiley people using these around you for some time. And this week we do have an obituary, uh, feeling the same hurt that Hyundai, Ford, and uh, pretty much every other company is. Cadillac announced it is finally ending production of the ATS, a sedan it hoped would rival the BMW 3 Series and set the company back on its way to relevance. Um, in many ways, the ATS did compete well with the Bimmer, uh, handling well, and at least with the ATS-V having a shit ton of power. Um, but it, being a Chevy at its heart uh, hurt it in quality and reliability, and not to mention the fact that nobody wants sedans right now, and Cadillac's lineup is basically just sedans, the Escalade, and the pretty forgettable CT5. Um, the ATS really wasn't likely to stick around for long. It and the CTS will be replaced by another sedan that will probably also fall short of goals and be a bummer in the sales department. Now, for the first time in forever, let's do a deep dive. Dive, dive. What's the deal with Hyundai? 
Last time we did this segment was way back in episode 25 when we talked about Honda's future plans and how to incorporate electrified vehicles. Uh, this time I'm trying to get into the heads of Hyundai, arguably Honda's less successful South Korean twin, and figure out what exactly is going through their heads. Right now, things are not going well for them at all, with sales in April down 11% from 2016 and a lineup composed primarily of car sales kryptonite sedans. They've also just been warned by the FTC that their industry-leading warranty may be illegal for actually being misleading about what it covers. And for a brand that was having such a positively meteoric rise through the 90s and 2000s in terms of reliability, popularity, and appeal, the turnaround has been all the more stark. So where has it gone wrong? Well, in 2015, Hyundai debuted an all-new redesigned Sonata, a modern sedan that looked technically every bit as good as a Toyota Camry and Accord competitors. But it didn't sell all that well, so in 2017, we got a facelifted, new styling-having Sonata, which you can probably guess also didn't sell all that well. So here in 2018, again, we have an all-new redesigned Sonata debuting at the New York Auto Show that's sure to kick sales into high gear, right? So Hyundai's thinking here is that their cars aren't selling because they aren't attractive enough, when the reality, when the market is looked at from a high level, is that sedans in general aren't selling well across the board, and that they're continuing to dump money into redeveloping vehicles for a class of waning popularity. Right now, Hyundai's website, which interestingly defaults to listing crossovers and SUVs first, lists an impressive 10 models of sedans, compacts, hybrids, and hatchbacks, compared with just four SUVs or crossovers. And it's important to note that, one, the Kona isn't broadly available for sale yet. Meanwhile, over at Toyota's website, which defaults to listing cars first, they have six SUVs or crossovers listed, along with 12 sedans, compacts, hybrids, and hatches, not including the 86. Toyota proves that you don't have to be like Ford and just cut everything that underperforms, but that you need to observe the market trends and have a diverse enough product offering to meet consumer needs. Hyundai hasn't done that. And speaking of sedans, then there's Genesis, Hyundai's luxury brand, which relies exclusively on a fleet of four-door vehicles, despite the fact that that segment is tanking faster than the Miami Marlins. And it's not that the vehicles aren't good. In fact, they're very attractive alternatives to both the Japanese and German rivals. Though I did find the Genesis sedan I drove a few months ago to be sort of lacking in character. But the trouble with Genesis now isn't limited to the vehicles they offer. After first deciding to offer Genesis vehicles only through standalone uh, dealerships, Hyundai backtracked and gave existing Hyundai dealers the option to become Genesis dealers as long as they built a separate facility for the luxury brand. Now, though, they're backtracking further and deciding, well, maybe Hyundai dealers can sell Genesis vehicles, which is not a great move if they're expecting to attract customers who want a luxurious experience. Not that Hyundai dealers aren't nice, they just aren't Mercedes dealers, and if I had to guess, I'd say that not many dealers were putting themselves forward as candidates to sell Genesis vehicles primarily because of the current vehicle offerings. A dealership struggling to move Sonatas and Elantras is probably not going to jump at the opportunity to sell an $80,000 luxury sedan no matter how nice it is. And the sales confusion and lack of crossovers have driven sales down 27% in April versus 2016 without a sign that things are going to recover for Genesis. 
This isn't where the puzzling moves stop, though. The word on the street is that Hyundai has greenlit the Santa Cruz, a compact two-door crossover with a pickup bed, sort of like a smaller Subaru Baja. And in case you're wondering why Subaru is no longer selling the Baja, it's because they decided there wasn't a strong enough market for it. So Hyundai decided to take a concept that's been floating around auto shows since 2015 and decide, yes, let's finally move forward with this because we have so few crossovers and a weird one is better than none, shows a serious problem in both product planning and market evaluation. Granted, I like the Santa Cruz, but I, I, I think it's a cool little truck, trucky car thing. But I like the Baja too, but I'd never be able to justify buying either. So what exactly is going right for them? Well, their hybrid and EV game is pretty strong with the Ionic hybrid, plug-in, and electric vehicles, as well as hybrid and plug-in versions of their Sonata sedan. The Ionic hybrids are, compare nicely with the industry standard Prius models, while the Ionic EV is pretty comparable in range with the Nissan Leaf, getting around 136 miles on a charge. That's not the 250 that you'll get with the Chevy Bolt, but it's also about seven grand less, so I guess you get what you pay for there. They also apparently have an all-electric Kona coming, which is their new subcompact crossover, and that baby is slated to match the Bolt's 250-mile range, with a more attractive crossover body style, which could be a hit if buyers can get over their range anxiety. Another problem, though, is that many of these subcompact crossover buyers are city dwellers who may not have their own garages in which to charge electric vehicles. Hyundai also has a new Santa Fe and Tucson crossover SUVs coming, as well as the Nexo fuel cell vehicle, which is a crossover with limited appeal since it runs on hydrogen, but at least it's neat. As for the formers, uh, the Santa Fe has been around five years already, and the Tucson only three, so clearly Hyundai sees the need to keep their crossover lineup fresh and competitive. Plus, we heard this week that Hyundai is mulling around a Kona N model that would get 250 horsepower, so you know there are at least a few car enthusiasts in the company trying to push through some more fun cars. Hyundai has made some other interesting moves lately with compelling products like the Kia Stinger GT for their sub-brand. Uh, they're clearly not out of touch completely with the public, plus their new design language, which they call sensuous sportiness, is straight-up gorgeous in spite of the sort of icky-feeling name. Hyundai styling chief Sang-up Lee has professed that he doesn't want the company to have this sort of Russian nesting doll styling, which I actually referred to in last week's show, and is common among German manufacturers, which is refreshing. But as shown at the Geneva Motor Show and the Le Fille Rouge concept, the styling was applied to a sedan, and no matter how sensuous or sporty you make it, it's going to be a hard sell to consumers, given their current preferences. We'll expect to see that same styling applied to other models within the coming months, so I think there's still time to save the company more massive losses. Hyundai's done tremendously well to earn a reputation as a manufacturer of high-quality, reliable vehicles. And combine that with learning how to read consumer sentiment and effectively plan a model range to meet demands, they'll have a winning formula. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. That's it for today's show. I will leave you this week with the sweet sounds of the Spanish GP. Um, enjoy the sounds of Formula One, folks. Here's your moment of zen.